this is Pop Fizz, episode two. From emojis to the Snow Queen, part one. From your hosts, Amanda McGee and Jane Ostick. All right, and here we are for episode two. Jane and Amanda, who hopefully you remember who we are by now. Um, <laughs> I'm the loud one. <laughs> so here we go. Um, Jane is going to kick off this episode as she has our nonfiction item. So shoot. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I love linguistics. I think linguistics are fantastic and really interesting. And um, I've talked to you about this book and I want to talk about specific things from this book because Internet by Gretchen McCullough. So what was it called? Say it again. Because okay. Internet? Because Internet. By Gretchen McCullough, who is like, who actually might wind up hearing this because she's like very involved on the internet and linguistics. Maybe not. I'm maybe like blowing up Hoping. smoke about how, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, she actually could hear this because reading the book, I was aware that people send her stuff. So like someone might send it to her and hey, it's cool if you do, I'm going to say nice things. Um, I liked reading the book a lot. I thought it was really interesting. The book's basically, the premise is linguistic survey of trends in online writing. Ooh, cool. So, like, what's some cool stuff? Well, there was a chapter that kind of, I wish it it was even longer than it was, uh, about gestures. Gestures? Gestures are a part of speech. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Okay. You know, and and she goes into a lot of detail about how just watch people, and this is going to make me hyper aware of my hands, which are waving around. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, how if you watch two people, the speaker will gesture and the listener will not, generally. And um, the gestures don't mean things independently, usually. Like, mm-hmm. um, if I wave my hand, that doesn't mean, and then they ratified the Constitution. <laughs> like, it doesn't mean something, but it adds emphasis, it adds personality and flavor and timing and text messages don't have that and so the chapter was about we've found ways to put these things into our interactions mm-hmm. and part of that's like um saying hey like this long and you're, and you're <laughs> like typing in your typeface the way like you're you're expressing those things online. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then for Chester, she's like, emoticons. Emoticons are how we figured out how to do this. So the reason why we have so many... Sh- and it was interesting, and this is why it could have been longer. She's like, some people... I think a specific example was the dancer girl. Mm-hmm. They won't use just any dancer girl. Like, if your phone has, like, five different women dancing, they pick the one in the red dress. It means something culturally. Like, people identify with it, but that... Uh, emoticons are a way that we get to add jokes and add, it was and that whole book is kind of like this about like if you add a period on the end of something is it passive aggressive um. <laughs> so like the the whole it's like a gen x thing slash maybe a boomer thing to add the ellipses on the end yes. of the sentence yes it, every time anybody does it and i know i'm not alone in this because i've seen people tweet about it I have anxiety. I get like anxious about. <laughs> Part of that is fully from from my because I agree with you. I get anxious about it. It's because Trump 
so much. And then I watch Colbert do all the dots. Like, whenever he's making fun of a Trump tweet, he does all the dots. So I'm hyper-aware that it's a Trump thing. Oh my god. So it makes me uncomfortable because it's a Trump thing on top of, like, anything else that there might be. So that, that, but that, you're right, that is absolutely a boomer thing. And what was cool is that you can actually go back, and this is in the book, um, the Beatles would do that on postcards. People did that before tweets. That was, like, a thing people did. And it just, they took that. The ellipses? Yeah, the ellipses. Yeah. They took that with them to to texting and then they don't take to other trends what was it meant to like indicate on postcards did she talk about that oh boy and here i'm gonna oh we have a visitor we have a cat found my water yeah you have to put it on the table she will yeah sorry (laughs) you're learning facts about (laughs) about my cat My cat is named Orca, and she is a tuxedo, which is how she got her name, and we're digressing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is giving me time to remember what the dot 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 is supposed to mean. I, I actually think to some degree, too, there wasn't... I think it was just like a way of showing the end of an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I but think, it was like flavor text. Yeah, yeah. So, I think it's really interesting... Um, I actually just read something recently that this is reminding me of in a totally different way. Yeah. Um, I read, uh, Unspeakable Things by Lori Penny, and she has a whole chapter in that book that's about, like, cyber sexism and the evolution of culture and, and uh, around technology and technological innovations. Um, and of course her focus is most definitely on, um, you know, the feminist aspect of it and, uh, how women have entered cyberspace and this idea that cyberspace is a place where you kind of like leave your body behind. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you can be whoever you want to be and you can express however you want to express. And I think that's really interesting within the context of, um, maybe, like, how we have found ways to substitute for the body. Yeah. In tech, like, with text. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm thinking, like, it's interesting because you're right, it's a way to get outside of it, but there's also, kind of like with the ellipses, there's these, like, Orca is, is gonna take this table and this microphone down, and you make it to hear it live, stay tuned. Um, <laughs> Uh, what I was going to say is you may have subconscious tells, like a boomer who is trying to present themselves as maybe like a teenager for whatever reason they want to. If you do the ellipses, you may not realize that that's a tell for your age, but it is. And like, I'm thinking especially with Gen Gen X, Gen Z, and Millennials. Oh my god, Jane, I have so to tell you about a book. Yay! <laughs> 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 no! That's not why we're here. That is why we're here. Okay, so this is a fiction book, and that's why I freaked out, because, yes. of course. <laughs> because I'm a nerd. And so... <laughs> okay, so, have you ever heard of Elif the Unseen? I hope I'm saying it right. No. A-L-I-F? Uh, I think so, yes. I think it's A-L-I-F. 
It no. might be A-L-E-F. I'll look it up and spell it in the con- in the notes or whatever. Yeah. But it's a phenomenal book, and it's set, I think it's set in Iran. It's by G. Willow Wilson. Okay. And it's a science fiction book, but also a fantasy book. And it's dealing directly with two things simultaneously. First, the surveillance state, which we just kind of mentioned before. I just mentioned before. I think that's one of the reasons I thought about it. And you were talking about, like, your tells. Yeah. Um, That's a really key plot point in the book because the main character, like, the thing that kind of kicks off the great conflict is that the main character is living in an, like, Islamic autocratic surveillance state, right? Okay. And he designs this code that um, allows him to figure out who's talking based off of how they interact, like how they spell things and space their sentences and choose words. Syntax patterns. Yes. (laughs) But they're lexicon. But through text, like through text messages and IMs and emails. And it falls into the hands of, or... I don't know if it actually ever falls into this guy's hands. I think it does. I can't remember all the plot. It's been a couple of years since I read it. It's incredible. It sounds incredible. Yeah. I want to read this book now. Okay, sorry. But it falls into the hands of his... She's not really his lover. She's his, like, aspired-to lover. Like, he wants to be with her. But she's engaged to this guy who's high up in the government this autocratic government, uh-huh. um, and that guy gets a hold of this code, and he's going to use it to hunt down anybody who is, like, expressing dissent con- to the government. And uh, I read it, I want to say I read it before, like, the, well, I can't remember how I read, like, how it timed with the Arab Spring Mm-hmm. And everything that happened there. Oh boy. Um, but uh, G. Willow Wilson is Islamic. Um, it's a wonderful book. It's not like vilifying anyone in terms of their um, religious orientation or anything like that. And in fact, the fantastical aspects of the book come directly out of like um, I think Islamic like mythos. Um, so, like, gin and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, it's really, really cool. Um, and if I've gotten my terminology wrong, please forgive me, guys. It's been a while since I read it, but it is just a phenomenal book, um, that, that deals with this very thing that she's talking about with, like, how people use, um, text and characters. And, and they do, and, um... I'm, you made me think of something. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to try to go down the, this this rabbit hole, but before I forget, um, as a random, like, comment thing, um, what is your favorite emoticon to use? Ooh. Uh, I, I use a lot of smiley faces, and probably the smiley face that I have the most, like, absolute emotional connection with is the upside-down smiley face. <laughs> <laughs> But but the one I use the most is, like, hearts, because of course I do. No, I was going to say hearts. 100% the red heart is the one I use the most. Yeah. Um, 
Because <laughs> when I'm, like, tired, I don't really have a comment, but I just want to let the person know, like, I liked that. I care about you, heart. Yeah. <laughs> like, that I was read, nice, heart. I read this other story that I just finished. It's called Evie Drake Starts Over, I think. Ooh. Yeah. And it's a romance, and it's written by, um, I can't remember the name of the writer, but she writes for NPR or does, mm-hmm. um, something for NPR. Um... And she talked about, in there's like this thing that comes up multiple times in this story where she's texting this guy that she's kind of interested in, um, and uh, she keeps sending him blue hearts. And it's something about like how the different colors have different meanings to her. I love that. Yeah. I actually really love, that makes me think of Undertale. <laughs> I don't know this. It's a game. <laughs> it's a video game. And... It would take too long to explain it, but, like, you are a child, a human child, who has fallen into an underworld filled with monsters. Okay. And it's very 8-bit, and has amazing music, and, uh, amazing story, and anyone who knows Undertale won't even tell you anything else about that, except, like, it's an incredibly good story, and it is something we could go into on a later date with more spoilers, because there's so much that's interesting, and you couldn't pack with Undertale. But the reason I thought of it is because... Uh, the combat scenes, you're a little heart. Uh, you're just a little yellow heart. And you, like, dodge stuff. Usually it'll be, like, colored different ways. Like, the enemies across you, it's almost like um, like a Pokemon setup. But then you have, like, this little box, and the attacks come to you at the heart. Come at the heart in the little box, and the heart has to dodge it. The heart changes color sometimes depending on special types of attacks. So, like, blue heart, and someone's got coffee because I'm going to get this wrong, you have to stay still. So if the heart, if something happens, it turns the heart blue stay still and you won't get hurt but if you're moving you'll get hurt and there's different colored hearts and it, as I think I can't go into too much but the hearts mean things uh-huh. they relate to certain characters and so it's like near the end of the boss battle I don't think that you change colors all that much but the colors are important this is a real tangent and <laughs> what, were you, what were you gonna say before um, I went down this rabbit hole <laughs> So, one of my favorite things that I learned, because, so the idea of linguistics is, it's not to study what language should be, like, what is, what are correct grammatical rules. For example, English is confusing because it's a lot of uh, prissy old dudes saying that words should look more Roman, should be more Latin looking, but not having Latin functions. Like, the word debt has a B in it, not because you say it, but because the Latin word looked like that. So they just, and that's why English is one of the most confusing languages for people and why everyone goes, that rule makes no sense. And you're right. Or there just aren't rules. You just have crazy, crazy words that don't make sense. Um, It's like prescriptive versus descriptive. So prescriptive is I'm telling you what to do. A descriptive is what people are actually doing. And online writing is exciting because you just see what people are actually doing. Mm -hmm. And the reason we want to know it at its core is We want to understand how language works in your brain, and that's where the scientific part comes in. How is your brain processing things? How does your brain make decisions? And Arabic language is fascinating because they have four. Because, um, and this is where I'm going to speak generally because I know there are specific details, and I know without more clear reference, I'm going to muck them. So, sorry, but I know that this can apply to Egypt, so we're going to go with Egyptian. There is a formal type of Egyptian that is usually only used for writing, um, that most Egyptians don't speak in their day-to-day language, but they'll learn it. And it's like a higher class thing, and this is going back centuries. 
and then there is a normal everyday I use Egyptian sort of almost a street Egyptian it's a little bit like thinking of writing in cursive versus writing in just regular block letters but it's how you think and communicate and they're two different languages well now we have the formal written versions of both of those and then you have the text versions of both of those and what they can mean in different situations and what people might choose is wildly different especially because for a long time Arabic numerals and descript like letters weren't on keyboards so people had to get creative and they would use reverse numbers they would use number like the numbers would be the reverse of the word the letter they couldn't have like I think three nine six five they would put them in and it was supposed to be mirror flip and then they like just put them in words. If I had known this before I read Aleph the Unseen, <laughs> <laughs> that I would have enjoyed it even more. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, there's there's so much. It's it's such a rich language, and it's one of those things where if you were raised with it and you understood it, this is like breathing. It is so natural to think of these things and flip them and put them in, and people understand them and get them kind of like memes. And it, and it catches on. But if you're like you and me, you just look at it and you're like, what? <laughs> what? And I love that that's, it's so cool that the human mind is capable of that. But I don't, I don't know what causes one culture to have this split language versus having the same written and spoken language. I, so I don't know the answer to that at all. And I won't even like attempt to go down there. But you No, I'm like I think that's a soci- soci- sociological question of how like a culture develops and how uh-huh. it uses language. Like and which... really they're puns. I mean like they're they're yeah. puns, right? Like I mean Some of it's, it, it's 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 is... also like letter play, but letter play ultimately is wordplay, right? It's exercise so... of wit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um this is recalling to me like two weird random things in my brain one of which is being at carnival and later at um mardi gras and not understanding all of the jokes like there's things there were jokes so like carnival and mardi gras obviously come from the same like um traditional space and in carnival i was actually in spain um for part of that time and I went out to some of the celebrations and of course as a second language speaker and also being functionally unfamiliar with like the the day-to-day aspect of Spanish politics which of course is its own animal I didn't really understand what was going on <laughs> but like so there was just a lot of like wordplay and stuff that I could not engage in because I was coming at it just totally from like a not just a foreign language, like the language barrier, but also from a foreign place. Like I was literally a foreigner. Yeah. And and I had been there, I think at that point for like two weeks and I didn't understand what was going on. So, (laughs) um, so that, that I'm thinking of that. And then I'm also simultaneously thinking of like the Japanese issues of politeness and like, how a lot of times you learn there's this this is my understanding is there's actually like a language in Japanese that's just reserved for the emperor because of his like height his wow um, prestige or position yeah. within the system 
And so... That's such a clever way to make yourself so unknowable and mysterious to people. Well, like, everybody should be able to understand him because you would all kind of learn it. And I think when they say language, I think what it probably means, just from my limited Mm -hmm. exposure to Japanese, which is, I've taken a couple years of it, is, and so, please don't, if there's a linguist out there who studies Japanese and wants to correct me... Please do. Yeah. But in detail. (laughs) We want to know. Same with the Egyptian comment. Please explain. (laughs) Or don't, you know, link me to your article. That's cool, too. That's true. But, but, um, uh, that it's probably a conjugation thing to some extent. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. And the reason I say that is because when I've like, been exposed to different dialects in Japanese that have different levels of formality, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times it's not necessarily the root word, like, the root verb or adjective, but it's the conjugation of that word that denotes the level of politeness and familiarity, um... I don't, I've never actually seen the emperor's, like, language spelled out, so there could be some massive digressions there, but, um, the, like, if you have ever watched anime, which obviously I do, like, a lot of times the pronouns that someone uses can denote, like, how they see themselves in respect to other people. Yeah. So, um, one of my favorite examples of this actually is from Orin High School Host Club when the... Uh, main character who's been like <laughs> mistaken as a boy then found out to be a girl at the end of the first episode sorry spoilers and then decides- <laughs> I'm sorry it's like the granddaddy <laughs> you know what I mean like boo if you did if that spoiled it for you go watch it it's good. yeah it's so much it's so much fun and then at the end of that first episode, she says something to the effect of, like, I can't just use boku, which is, like, a relatively gender neutral. I mean, it's, it's, if a woman uses it, it's considered somewhat masculine, but still it's within the bounds, or no, yeah, I think, but still it's within the bounds of propriety. Mm-hmm. She's like, I can't, I won't use that, I'll use ore, which is, like, an entirely masculine pronoun that women are not really supposed to use 100%. Like, it's just not, like, exactly normalized. And so, um, she's doing that in order to, like, throw people off because, of course, she's dressed like a boy. She it, she can pass as a boy, but it will definitely help if no one has any questions. Yeah. <laughs> 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 everything which is um again and I, I am just going back to the book for so much it's, it's a really good book and I know there's a lot that I'm not even touching but um she she talks about how sarcasm people have tried to come up with like ways to convey sarcasm and nothing has caught on there's like they tried to come up with like like you know like an apostrophe not an apostrophe but like a special punctuation punctuation just to, like, convey the, like, well, like you that can, was a lot of people do, like, quotation marks or, around a word. Or the, the slash S I'm seeing a lot now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but nothing has ever really fully caught on, and her, th- er, her hypothesis is 
it's because it's so context specific and that's part of the joke and so if you need the joke explained to you it's not funny and the best example I have that is not from that book but that I love of this is RuPaul's Drag Race of course it is <laughs> yep season 9 uh, Nina Benina Brown who also if she ever sees this would make my heart just like flutter out of its chest because I love her but Nina Benina Brown is just the silliest and was and does like all these live streams and stuff where she makes fun of herself makes fun of other people and she had made jokes about one of the other girls on her season while the show was airing and we get to the reunion for season nine and that girl Kamora Black is mad about it of course and so there's and you can season nine reunion is so much fun to watch but there's specifically this part where she's calling out Nina and Kamora's like yeah, that was really hurtful, and you shouldn't say things like that. And Nina goes, it was a joke. And Kamora goes, but you didn't say JK, though. Like, and so it's I, become a meme. It's become a, a, a way of conveying a joke is JK, Kamora, JK. <laughs> like, people will add on, you didn't say JK, Kamora. Like, it's become its own thing. And if you go to the Drag Race Reddit, which is the best Reddit, you're welcome. Go. Enjoy. Um, In case you guys didn't know, (laughs) Jane is a diehard drag race aficionado. Yup. (laughs) I know there are people more obsessed than me, and that gives me some comfort, but, like, it also makes me feel so much less alone, but I know, I know my shit when it comes to drag race, but... It's one of my favorite examples of, like, the sarcasm being context. Because me explaining it to you, if you, like, watch every part of it, and then you just see, JK, Kamora, I said JK, you get it. But if you're just a strange person coming on, you've never seen it before, you look at that and you're like, why is that funny? That's not a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, humor is so context-specific just in general. I mean, I think that um, there's stuff... So, like, I'm, I'm gonna get dragged for this. I don't like Rick and Morty. Mm. So, <laughs> like, oh no! Oh no! I just why would me. you do that? <laughs> Pretend! I, no. It's just, it doesn't hit for me. It's fine. Like, I won't go into it. But my, <laughs> my husband, who shall remain nameless loves Rick and Morty and all of our friends love Rick and Morty and so occasionally there will be something that comes up where there will be like a joke that they reference more than occasionally that I kind of am like I don't really understand what's happening (laughs) and so at this point they have decided that they have to show me this is this is his like solution to this problem is he he will show me the episode in question mm-hmm. so that then when they make the joke, I will at least understand the joke. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really very considerate. <laughs> it's like, we gotta, we'll bring you in on the in-joke. You may not think it's funny, but you'll know what we're doing. But we love you and we want to share the humor and maybe contextually you'll think it's funny because we do share enough of a sense of humor, obviously, that we're all friends. So, so I, <laughs> I have a friend who is hilarious. It's one of the funniest people I've ever met. And there was a day 
where he and his wife and I were hanging out, and he just, like, stoically goes, no can do, slurs. And we both stared at him, like, what? It was, it's a Futurama reference. And I love ah. Futurama, but not enough that I recognized it offhand. So he starts, like, and this is a guy who's done stand-up, like, legitimately one of the funniest people I've ever met, and he tried to explain this episode of Futurama to us, to explain the reference. And it died. And it, he was so, it was so not funny. And his wife was just staring at him like, no. Yeah. It's become legend. And like years <laughs> later, we're still like, do you remember that time you were not funny? So now, no can do slurs. It's a joke about how unfunny that moment in time was. Right, yeah. And so, <laughs> that is like you know, a reference that is, that only you guys get, and that, and so it's really difficult within that context to say, okay, with online humor, and all these people are strangers rubbing elbows, like, that, that there are, of course there's going to be references and jokes and interactions that don't make any sense. (laughs) All the time. All the time. (laughs) Delete it fat. (laughs) Okay, so we're 30 minutes, so here we go. We're gonna um, stop this and move on to our fiction segment, unless you have one more thing. Just wanted to say in our last few seconds that in the comments, if there are comments, tell us your favorite emoticon, tell us your favorite inside joke that only you know. You can explain it if you want. Like, I'd love to see just a a lot of people explaining inside jokes. Okay, I'm in in for it. I'll read it. Please do that. We will read them. (laughs) (laughs) All right, see you on the other side of the break. 